Have you ever felt so exhausted and drained that you're left questioning if you're burning out? Hi, I'm Flick Taylor, and my passion for burnout and self-care came about when I became a mental health writer who'd lost her mental health to extreme burnout. I know, the irony is not lost on me. Join me as I host Everyday Burnout Conversations, the honest podcast that shares the stories of others from all walks of life as they recover from, manage and avoid burnout by prioritising their mental health and well-being. Expect to hear fascinating conversations, plus positive and actionable tips and tricks that can help you make the simple life changes your mental health will thank you for. Episodes will be delightfully wrapped up in some epic truths and great humour. So, enjoy! Today I share an everyday burnout conversation with Laura Friedman-Williams. Laura is a native New Yorker and author of the recently published book Available, a memoir of sex and dating after a marriage ends. Now, Laura, she was happily married, stay-at-home, self-declared PTA mum of three children and for nearly three decades she was living every inch of the life she dreamt of and had planned for. Then one day she discovered her husband was having an affair and found herself single after 27 years, which then set her on a new path of self-discovery. Her brilliant debut book shares her fabulous and unapologetic story of sex and dating after divorce. It's my favourite kind of memoir writing as Laura shares a very funny, honest, frank and moving account of her sexual reinvention. So, Expect to have many laughs and then a few tears as Available explores the various roles we take on through the course of our lives and how they come to define us. Laura's writing has been featured in the Financial Times, Cosmo, Vogue UK and the Daily Mail to name a few. So without further ado, let's crack on with an everyday burnout conversation with Laura Friedman-Williams. So, Laura, this is such a treat to be able to chat to you on a Monday afternoon um, because, oh my gosh, your book, reading your book has been incredible. It's it's my favourite kind of memoir. It is, it's so raw and honest. It's, you know, there's elements that are really uplifting and inspiring. And then you, you're just laughing throughout the whole of it. You basically, I thought I went from one chapter of laughing to the next, like in tears and just <laughs> texting my friends saying, you've got to read this book. You're going to feel so seen. So this is such a treat to be able to talk to you today and I can't wait for more people to find your work in your book um so I was wondering to start us off could you tell us a little bit about how life you knew it was just gone within 48 hours Sure. And thank you for having me on, by the way. Um, I, I listen to your podcast and I love your guests. Oh, and so it is, it's you. really an, an honor for me to be here and get my turn to talk to you. Yay. So thank you. <laughs> um, okay. How did my life get turned upside down? I well, I was with my husband for 27 years. Um, we had three children. I, I really thought my marriage was eternal and that we would grow old together. We sometimes joked about what kind of grandparents we would be. And, um, and I found some text messages on his phone one night that he was, that it was clear he was having an affair with another woman. Um, and more, more than just having an affair, he was in love with another woman. And he had been thinking about leaving me for this other woman. 
Um, and it was so shocking to me. I mean, even now thinking about it, I, I can't believe it happened. It was such a surreal experience um, to have gone from a life that I thought was really settled and happy and just, you know, chugging along and that he had a whole other life going. I think when you imagine infidelity, you think of it as it's betrayal. It's not just betrayal, like sexually. It's also, it's just, he totally betrayed the life that we were supposed to have and the life that we had had. So, um, I, I had a very intense reaction, um, which was just that I, I was obviously devastated. I I think any woman would be, but I needed him out. It was like the marriage was over. It was just over. It was like over in a second. And I know that some women recover from infidelity and I hoped that I might be one of them. Um, but I think it was pretty apparent to me quickly that I wouldn't be. And so my 27 year relationship with this man ended overnight within 48 hours. He was gone. We, uh, had just moved into our home. That was like a home that we had bought and renovated, like got renovated and that we expected we would live in for the rest of our lives. It was like our final nesting place after moving eight times. And we'd lived there maybe six months together. And I sat in the living room and I watched him wheel his suitcase out. Oh my goodness me. Because you've shared how like being a mother, like, you know, what you, the life you were living, that was your dream. That was your plan. Like you just threw everything, your heart and soul into being a mom and to being that kind of person. And then for it to just shatter. I mean, my goodness, how did you even, I can remember reading the part where you said like, you know, you would coach yourself and literally be like, you know, I've got to get out of bed and I've got to take it step by step. How, how did you even summon that strength, Laura, you know? Yeah, I think I was just so, numb is not the word because I was, I was the opposite of numb. It was like an outer body experience, but I was bereft. Um, and I think what's really hard is I did, as you say, I, I really embraced the notion of happily ever after. Like you, you marry, you make a family. I really wanted kids. I wanted many kids and I got lucky. I got three of them and, um, I really enjoyed my life. You know, I felt very lucky to have had, I'd had a lot of bumps in my life. Like it wasn't like this was the first, you know, thing that had happened to me. So, you know, I, my father died when I was very young. There was remarriage, there was complicated relationships in my family. So I really thought I'm going to have the home that is the happily ever after. What's really hard. It's terrible about any time in your life is when you realize that you only can control your part of the narrative and somebody else might take control of the rest of it. So when I found myself in this situation that I never imagined I'd be in, never wanted to be in, I never even thought about it. Um, I really, it was all coaching. It was like, I had to treat myself like I was my friend and say like, okay, what would you do if you were coaching somebody? And this was what was happening to her. This is what you would tell her. I mean, at the end of the day, I feel so beholden to my children, Like they didn't ask for this. They didn't, they didn't ask to be caught in the crossfires. And even though I felt clear that my husband had done this, I was still their mother and I still was participating in whatever way and I needed them to cope. And the only way for them to cope was to see me coping. And I didn't do it. I'm not going to say I did it very gracefully. Um, I don't think I did. I think, you know, looking back, I don't know how I got through those first days, weeks, months. It was brutal. 
Um, but I did it and they, and they did it. Um, and I think it was just a lot of telling myself, like you, you, you have to do this. There's just no choice. You got to keep going. And I would tell myself, I wrote this in the book, what you put one foot down, you put the next foot down and then you start moving. And that's it. You might feel like you're going to vomit. You might feel like you're going to pass out. You might feel angry. You might feel what the ground's going to swallow you whole one foot in front of the next. You see, it's funny, Lord, because when I was reading the book, I, I felt you were doing it so gracefully because it's so difficult to have to process your own, it's almost like grief of your relationship and yourself, your identity, as well as having to help guide your children because your youngest daughter, when she was Mm -hmm. sat in bed with you and she was like, is it, is it six weeks yet? Is that six weeks finished yet? Like, like, can he come home? Can daddy come home? Yeah, yeah, like I thought you did an incredible job of just keeping going because your older children kind of had their own emotions and reactions, didn't they? And, and yeah. you know, it's very, I, I thought you did a brilliant job. Well, I thank you for that. Thank you for oh. saying that. But like we are, as mothers, so hard on ourselves, you know, and I yes. really had thrown myself into the motherhood with a real sense of martyrdom. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It wasn't like I was walking around like, what oh, I gave up for you guys. You know, it's not that, but it was more like I lived for my children. So every decision I made was guided by what was going to work or not work for them in my mind. And that meant going out in the evening, that meant stopping working, you know, when the second one was born. So to be in a position where I felt that, you know, my eldest daughter at the time was 17. So for me to be in a position where I've been a mother for 17 years and suddenly it's out of my control, I can't control their happiness. I can't fix this problem. And it was so terrifying to me to be in that position But also I could see from them, they were on the one hand, like they didn't speak to their dad. They were super angry at him. The older ones knew what was happening. They were furious. And then after some time, they became furious with me because they wanted me to just take my old life back. They wanted to get back to where we had been. Like, okay, we hit this major bump and now we're just going to move on. And I couldn't do it. And then they were mad at me. So for me to be reduced in my children's eyes because of this action that my husband had taken, I was just reeling with anger. So yeah, it was really hard. I mean, when I say graceful, well, I'd always been like in my mind, I'd really been like super mom, you know, it's the PTA mom. And I was always hosting kids and parties and making Halloween costumes from scratch. And, you know, so for me, like throwing a bowl of, you know, Lucky Charms cereal in front of them for dinner or like melting cheese on a tortilla chip and calling it a nacho like that for me was a failure. That was my feeling that I was failing as a mother. Yeah, in hindsight, it's like it's a miracle I made them lunch every day, you know. But, <laughs> but it's so funny because I mean, you talk about, you know, you wanting to really have that cohesive, solid family unit because you wanted it to be a contrast to kind of what you'd experienced. You have an incredible mum who's inspired yes. you, but you wanted to have something different. Yes. And Reading it, like hearing about the melted cheese on the nacho chips and the lucky charms, <laughs> I I was literally reading it going, ha, huh, she did good. She did Aww. good because you were so authentically dealing with the situation because mm. as a parent myself, it's really difficult to um, watch your kids kind of 
you know, experience real life in real time. You just want to protect them, don't you? Um, And I thought, oh my gosh, she did an incredible job of just role modeling how to really get in the moment and look after yourself. Lucky chance, there it is. There's nothing wrong with that. But I know as a mum, for years, you just kind of want to give your kids all the nutrition and sit with them at the table and talk. But that moment, like, lucky charms, this is the reality. Like, Mm. everyone's got to hunker down. We've got to all process and look you know processes and look after ourselves together I thought it was fantastic well I appreciate that because I think there is when I look back at that time and I think about the kids and it was my daughter's last year at home before going to college and then my other my my son was a freshman in high school and then the the youngest one was like seven I feel like we were sort of on this life raft together you know it was like we were all just like would wake up and be like okay it's another day that we have to survive how are we going to do this you know and I think there were a lot of things that we tried on for size we tried on anger we tried on sadness we tried tried on being victims. We tried shutting people out. We tried blocking and angry, you know, blocking people on phones. We tried a lot of things. And sometimes it almost felt like we were sort of acting out the role. Like what would a, what would a bereft child sound like right now? What would a, what would a, you know, um, a jilted wife sound like right now? Because who knows? You don't have those roles. You're not prepared for this. I mean, we were just, you know, my kids were like, totally selfish children the way children are and I don't mean that they're wonderful children they're compassionate human beings but they're going through life it's all about them it's all about well I'm a freshman in school and my work's so hard and I'm about to go to college and I'm about to have a prom and a graduation it's all about me and now my parents have taken from me because now it's all about just like my mom has to pick herself up off the floor my dad's gone you know how do we deal with these things and I felt so bad I felt just so terrible that like I'd done this to them, that I hadn't been able to protect them, that I couldn't fix it for them. So for me, like there were certain things I did gracefully. It came later. For me, the graceful part was forgiving their dad so that they could forgive him too. That was where the grace came in. It wasn't in the early days of like looking, you know, like hiding in the pantry, doing shots of tequila while trying to serve them those lucky charms. Like that wasn't, those weren't my finest moments, but I got through my finer moments were in saying like, okay, now it's time for us to move forward as a family. And I'm going to show you how it's done. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's like, I mean, obviously you use a lot of humor throughout the book in, in talking about your situations and, and as a Brit, I get that. It's kind of what we do. <laughs> I love um, that. You know, and how, now I live in North America and Canada. I'm kind of like hyper aware Interesting. of that's what we do. And sometimes people look at me strangely. Mm-hmm. Um, but you talk about how you've always used humor and you've always looked for the silver linings yeah. and actually how difficult it is to sit in the pain. Yeah, that was really... How did you do that? How did you do that? Well, um, I didn't really have a choice, I guess. Right? So, I mean, I think, you know, silver linings, I love them. I'm an optimist. I'm a hopeless optimist. Truly hopeless. The things I believe could happen are just amazing. (laughs) And I, um, you know, my daughter is the one, my eldest daughter... Yeah, it said to me once, like, you know, you're, it's really annoying, your silver linings, because you never can let us be upset. You're always in fix-it mode. It's always like, look at the bright side. Well, I don't want to look at the bright side today. Right now, I want to, I feel crappy, and I'm going to, I want to just feel crappy. And so I learned to just say, okay, I can't, I can't find the silver lining. I, I, it's not there. There was, it, for me, I just didn't exist, the silver lining. I felt totally reduced. 
so what can I do? I'm just going to stay in this pain until it abates. And so my friend had given, you know, told me this mantra, um, the only way out is through. And it's very common. I think a lot of people know this mantra, but for I had never heard of it before. And I thought about it 400 times a day. I would say it to myself. I would think I'm here now. I'm sitting in this pain. I'm, I'm drowning in sorrow, but I believe that there is an out. I'm just, I have to go through this and then there will be another side. So it was very uncomfortable and it was really hard. I couldn't offer silver linings. I couldn't find, you know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but I still had faith that it existed, that the end would come. It took a long time. And and you just have to sit with that. I mean, actually, one of your guests said recently, uh, Laura Jane Williams, which makes me laugh because she and I often, I mean, I often get like confused, like people, because I'm Laura Friedman Williams, people send, call me Laura Jane Williams. And I'm like, nope, haven't met her. She's an amazing writer. Uh, She's been around a lot longer than me. I'm sure she's not thrilled with getting confused for me or whatever. But she said something I thought was really interesting about doing nothing. Like when you're not sure what to do, do nothing, you know, just sit with it. It doesn't mean like, don't be active in your recovery means that sometimes being active means just sitting back, that there's not always an answer. So that was huge for me to understand that there's not always an answer. Sometimes things are just crappy and you just got to say, I'm sorry. Now, that being said, I also have a time limit on how long I'll let myself feel bad. So now that I'm sort of on the other side, it's been three and a half years. I still have a lot of really bad days, you know, where I feel really bad, but I sort of give myself amount of time that I'm going to wallow in it and cry and just be like, totally give myself over to it. And then I'm like, okay, time's up. Time to move on. Okay. Time is up. No more. You can still feel sad, but you're not going to wallow anymore. Right. And I literally said it like a time. (laughs) Really? You're like, okay, that's it. Time is going on. That's all you're going to get. It's like tomorrow at midnight, you have 36 hours. You do whatever. You can be as miserable as you want, eat all the ice cream you want, you know, whatever you want to do. Cry to your friends, feel sorry for yourself, but then it's over. You can still feel crap, but you can't control, but you pick yourself up. You find your, you find the other side of it. You find the silver lining and you persevere. Amazing, because you can really wallow, can't you? It's it's. I've you sure there. can. Yeah, I know. Yep. <laughs> no. Yeah, and you know what it looks like when people wallow. It's not you're then you're really stuck. And yes. so I that tunnel for me, where what I envisioned when I said the only way out is through, I envisioned a very long tunnel, and I often imagine myself slogging through it. And it was always a question for me. Am I at the beginning, the middle, the end? Can I see that there's a little bit of light? Like, is it muddy here? So I often think about it like sort of like, you know, slogging through this like mud. It's so viscous. It's hard to get through. Are you making it harder for yourself? Or can you at least like be in the dark place, but maybe not going through the mud? Can you just make it a little easier on yourself by just saying, this is really hard, but also like a lot of other people have it worse. And also a lot of people love me. And like, also I'm still here. Oh my God, well, that's a bloody powerful visual. That's fantastic. <laughs> it worked. Sure, it was powerful because it worked for me. It did. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's yeah. really good. And to, because you can feel very lonely walking through that tunnel, can't you? But to very. remind yourself that you have people you're loved. 
you have people yeah. behind you because you did have you talk about your lovely friends you know chatting yeah. with you and supporting you um and also you know you kind of had like some therapy and like mm-hmm. you know couples therapy as well as your own talk therapy and I think yep. that kind of really helped you I have to say Lord there was a piece there was a part in the book um and it just that the the hairs on my arms just stood up it really <laughs> touched my heart because and I'll read it out because you say when you're talking to your therapist and you say to her what if I'm so lost that I can't remember who I am or find myself in here what if I'm lost forever oh my god look mm-hmm. my hands are going mm-hmm. up now it makes me I, want to cry it does <laughs> because I think we've all had a moment like mm-hmm. that and don't it's just heartbreaking to think of someone else experience that you just want yeah. to kind of hug them and yeah. and your therapist said no it's not possible right here and she pointed to your heart you are mm-hmm. here look inside you're too strong to have disappeared find yourself embrace yourself that's the part no one can ever take from you that will always be there for you you know who you are mm-hmm. oh my god like I'm tearing up and the words afterwards you said I was wounded but I wasn't dead yeah I mean, I feel it now. I'm holding my heart. You know, I definitely have a lot of times where I feel things and I like hold on to my heart. And I think like I've got myself, you know, in good ways and in bad ways, I think what I learned and what that therapist gave me permission to not be that flattened woman on the ground who couldn't pick herself up. She gave me permission to sort of be myself and to be bold in many ways because she said, you don't have to be reduced. You're not gone. And in fact, she said something else to me that was really great. Um, I I would talk about being damaged goods. I used that terminology and she would say, I really don't like that terminology. You're not damaged. Damage implies that something is wrong with you and it's permanent. You're just going through a hard time. So I tried to reframe things for myself that way. She was amazing that way. I think at the end of the day, for better or for worse, we really have to rely on ourselves. So what I found out was in a very painful way, you can have all the love in the world. And I had so much of it for my family and my friends, but you've got to get yourself out of bed in the morning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when your kids are crying and they're mad at you because you're not, you're the problem now. And they're saying to you, you're the problem. You're not letting dad back. And so our family's broken now because of you. No one is there to be like, actually, you know, let me set the record straight for you. You really, you have to, when you get into bed at night, the thoughts that are in your mind and the person that you are living with, it's just you. So I feel like you have to know both sides. One is that you have to be able to, that you are alone. It is lonely. You can have all the love and companionship in the world. I have a million people. I'm so lucky. I can pick up the phone right now and call, you know, 10 best friends who will help me. But, and they will help me. But the decisions you make, this really big decisions of your life, and, you know, the way that you behave, you, that's yeah. on you. No one can do that for you. So that was shocking to me. I don't think I'd ever realized that. Like when you have a partner and you're married and you're with a man, like as long as I was, and you considered a partnership, you're never alone. I never thought of myself as being alone. Everything was in tandem. Like we decide everything together. And now all of a sudden I have to make decisions for myself that are hugely life altering. And there's no, I remember actually the morning I finally told him that I I wanted a divorce. Yeah. I said, we should talk. We went to the park and I was like, so what are we doing? 
uh, you know, we haven't gone back to couples therapy. Like it's been a few months. Like we haven't really talked about getting back together. And he was like, I I don't know what you want. Like, I can't, I can't read you. I don't know what you want. And I was like, okay, I guess this is over then. I guess we're done. And it was like, again, it was like my last attempt to be like, tell me what to do. Like, let's be a team. And that was gone. Yeah. Incredible. And something I really got as well was the permission you gave yourself to pay attention to yourself. And that that really comes through at the very beginning of the book. Like I, I just loved how you opened and you start talking about number one. (laughs) I was just like, I was rooting for you. I was like, I love this guy. I love his approach. He was kind. And I I was just like, this guy, fantastic. Like from the very get go of your book, You can't help but root for you, and you're just like applauding. <laughs> you're just like, come on, Laura. <laughs> I love that. He was very decent. He was a very decent human being. He was. Yes. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you kind of was like, right, that's it. I'm going to go out. And you were really putting yourself out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And doing it like, so, like with such courage. But you did it, and you were, it was in honor of yourself, your self love. Like it was. That was amazing. Yeah, I know. Again, it's like, I don't even know where it came from. You know, I think it came from an absolute determination to get through to the other side. You know, I just couldn't believe that this was like what my life was going to be now, that I was going to be this really like unhappy, reduced version of myself. I mean, if I wasn't going to use the word damage, what I would say was I was sort of a shadow of myself. Um, And so I think I sort of thought about the things I liked about myself, the things I'd always really liked about myself, but I didn't think that much about myself. I mean, going through life, raising my kids, being my husband's wife or my parents' daughter, I didn't think, I never was like, oh, you're really whatever. Like I thought I was funny, but like my kids told me all the time I wasn't. So, you know, they, (laughs) they kept me in check. Uh, I mean, I thought I was a great singer also. And they were like, nobody should ever hear your voice. It's, you know, like definitely have the worst voice in the family. So I thought lots of things and my kids were constantly like, nope, not so, not so. So I'd given, you know, I think I just, I didn't think about it. And now all of a sudden I'm a single woman. I'm not attached to anybody. I have to present myself and I just sort of look at myself and think, well, what can I say that's nice about myself? Um, I'm re- I'm honest. I'm a really honest person. I don't lie. And I think my fate, heart is often on my sleeve and my expression, my feelings are on my face. So even when I try to lie, people are like, oh my God, like your reaction was, you know, like you could just see it. And my kids sometimes are like, you got to get a poker face. Like it's sometimes it's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. Um, I thought at that, okay, I'm a kind person. I'm a good friend. I have good friends. So probably I've been a good friend. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm open. I'm curious. I'm an open and curious person. If you sit down with me, I'll probably have lots of questions for you and I'll want to know you and I'll want you to know who I am at my core and what's really important to me. So I think I really just started kind of giving myself little pep talks to say like, there's a lot, you have a lot of special things about you. And, um, and those things are going to be the things that you hold on to and, you know, we'll see what happens. And so it was like, just like I say, it was like jumping into cold water. You know, you're, you're so out of your body anyway. You know, my whole life I'd been with somebody like I'd had from the time I was 17 on, I had a boyfriend or my husband. Yeah. So here I am 47, I'm in midlife and, um, you know, it's like sink or swim time. Yeah. But I knew I had it in me. I just knew it. 
I, I just felt that I was strong enough, determined enough. And also that I wanted to live, you know, honestly and happily. And, and, and live and thrive, not yes, just Yes, not live. just live. Yes. And I think uh, from my perspective anyway, Laura, I'm reading your book and thinking, oh my gosh, you lost your marriage, but my goodness, <laughs> find your writing voice. Yeah. Like the world is a better place for your writing. Like, you know what I mean? What a Thank gift you. to us. I know Thank it you. Wow. Wow. She a hell to go through, but look at where you are now yeah no it was hell for sure (laughs) yes but it's so inspiring because I think anyone listening you know whatever has led you to a point where you're just kind of depleted where you're just lost where you're just you you've forgotten who you are yeah it's it's a very dark scary lonely place to be in yeah it's I think we've you know we we've mentioned the word lonely a lot and it's true yeah. because I think it's like no matter who loves you and what kind of support you have uh you still you really are living with yourself and um it can it's very dark when it's not and it's also hard it's just hard to come to terms with it how like I here I think that I know myself pretty well that I'm doing a great job as a mom and a supportive wife I think all these things and yet the person who um is makes up the other 50 percent of me thinks something totally different because he's had to go off-roading in order to make his life feel fulfilling so how is it that that was enough for me and it wasn't enough for him um and and so those are things honestly sometimes I still grapple with it um but, but I do think, you know, the strength we can find after anything that brings us to our knees is really incredible. And as I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, no matter what hell I went through, no matter how painful and continues often to be painful, I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't take it back right. because I do feel that I had lost myself, that I was... I lost myself to motherhood. I lost myself to being someone's wife. I lost myself to, you know, the PTA and to running my home and to, you know, having my girlfriends and whatever it was, I I had lost myself, like who I really was deep down, that person that you go to bed with, that person you wake up with. And, um, and I feel like I have found her. I've located her. I'm still finding her. And, um, imagine if I had never had the chance to do it. And I would never have had that if my husband hadn't had an affair. So there, I have gratitude for it. I feel very like, and it's not just free. I feel very like in touch with myself now. Like, and that's what I appreciate. And that really comes through because at the end you you can't, you, you just left. I was like, I was in such awe of you because I thought, my gosh, she, 150% 150% wholeheartedly loves herself. Yeah. And I don't know how many people today have had that experience that have led to that point. You know, like who yeah. can, I'm, I'm just thinking of friends and family and co like, do you really love yourself? I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you're, you're right. We don't have that time to sit with ourselves and really, you know, be with ourselves. And yeah. yeah, incredible. It's hard. And I didn't want it. I mean, yes, it wasn't like I was driving this train. And if anybody had told me before I found out, before, you know, my life changed, if anybody had said, this is going to happen to you, I would have been like, absolutely not. 
my life is great. My life is grand. Everything is exactly where it should be. And we are like the model couple and that is not happening to us. And if it does happen to us, I mean, I definitely wouldn't have thought that I have written a book about it and that I did go out and have tons of sex. I mean, these are not things I would have imagined. It's kind of amazing what happens when your story changes if you are willing to change direction. You know, if yes. you're, you have to be willing. You do, um, because you yeah. said you were someone who, you know, you wouldn't go against the grain. No. You kind of said I was a bit of a good girl. Like, you, you know, it's Absolutely. interesting that you then kind of went on this journey to really fully embrace yourself and really kind of be in situations that you have never explored before. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I like looked back at my life. I really thought back to the time I was a teenager and I thought, you know, every once in a while I would do something that was kind of unexpected, you know, that was like a little bit bold, a little bit more bold than anybody would expect me to do or a little bit outside the grain. And there were so, there were such fleeting moments. I never really thought about it. So it was like, it was almost like I just became myself. You know how people say when you, you see people who are older, really, you know, into their eighties and nineties and they'll just sort of say anything. And like you, sometimes you laugh because you think, oh my God, like that person just became so much more themselves as they got older. They're still exactly the person they were just they'll, they're more, even more so like condensed. And that's how I started to feel about myself. Like, oh, I was that person. I had been that person. She was there all along, but she was so silenced by the roles that she took on. So I'd forgotten that I could be independent. I'd forgotten that I could write, you know, that I, that I liked sex. All I'd, yes. I'd sort of forgotten about all these things. So it all came as like a real shock to me, but also like, oh yeah, you, you had used, you used to do these things. They used yeah. to make you happy. They used to make you fulfilled. And that's all you, that's not yeah. you and someone, it's just you. So, um, you know, I think it was sort of in many ways, it was like, I did an about face, but it was also like becoming my own self. And I think that's all a lot about midlife also. And one of the beauties of being in midlife. Yeah. And one of the great things about aging is that we really can just say, screw it. Like, this is who I am. I feel pretty confident at this point that I know who I am deep down and who I can attract and who I'm attracted to. And for everybody else, just, you know, whatever. Yeah, that whole kind of, this is who I am, unapologetically. Yes. I mean, it's a beautiful oh. thing. This is why you're writing so beautiful, because you are unapologetically yeah. <laughs> writing and writing from the heart. And it's just so beautiful to read, you know. It's uh, it's incredible. So, like, here you are. So how long has it been since you split up from your husband? It's been three and a half years you see that's incredible Laura three and a half years I just I'm amazed that you have been able to experience process that and then write this incredible book it's hard being honest yeah how did you do that yeah um 
you know, as I said before, I'm a very honest person. It never occurred to me to do it any other way. I think one of the things that I feel, you know, like I've had friends tell me over the years is like they, that they would appreciate how honest and open I was about my own experiences and my family's experiences. So even though there was a lot of great stuff happening for us, I was very honest also about any struggles that we had as a family, you know, academically with anxiety, depression, you know, things that afflicted us um, or affected us. Um, I was always very honest about it. Like, yeah, there's this and it's great, but there's also this and it's hard. So I don't think that I ever tried to pretend that things were like sunshine and roses where they weren't. You know, I think I've always tried really hard to give a well-rounded view. And that's what I really tried to do in the book because I realized to just write a book, to sit down and write a book about all this great sex I'm having. It's funny. I mean, a lot of it was funny because I was like, Rumbling. I, I like had no idea what I was doing. And a lot of the men had no idea what they were doing. You know, we're all like newly single and in our yes. 40s, 50s, 60s, and we're bumbling along. And some of it is just very comical. Like looking back, yeah. I'm like, God, it's so crazy that all that stuff happened to me so that I'd have some material to write a book. Because <laughs> <laughs> if like the dog hadn't watched me having sex, oh my God, like, jumped away, get away from, you know, someone's teenage daughter and broken a rib, like what would I have written about? <laughs> So all of that stuff gave me really good material, but that was part of the story. And the other part was I was reeling. I was, you know, devastated. And that's still true. Three and a half years out, I am in a much better place. I'm, I feel content most of the time. I feel at peace. I feel connected to my three children. Um, I feel like I've learned a lot. I'm so grateful for all of it. Does that mean that I never feel insecure, that I don't have imposter syndrome, that I still don't look at couples who are married and think, why didn't, why couldn't I have made that work? Even though I don't want to go back to it, you know, even I don't want it back. I don't, I don't want him back and I don't want to be married again. But that doesn't mean I don't look at couples and think, Ooh. why? Sorry. Why not me? Yes. Oh, sorry. No worries. Oh, I'm back. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> it came up with a FaceTime. I'm like, no. Oh. <laughs> I'm not doing a FaceTime. Technological help. IT yeah. department. <laughs> oh, my God. You'd think I'd get this sorted by now. Oh, dear. You know what, though? I loved... Um, what your mum said to you when you were like okay I've written this book and she's been a huge you know supporter of yours and really encouraged you share what your lovely mum said to you when you were like mum yeah I mean my mum is turning 80 this year and she's an interesting person because she's such a good role model. She's so successful. And, you know, she was such a pioneer in her own field um, and always worked and like this very strong woman. Yeah. But she but she also really believed like you had to be married. You needed a man. And I sometimes quote her as saying like any man is better than no man at all. And it was like the way that she, you know, was that like generation. Yeah. Yeah. So when I told my mom about the book, we'd never been very open open about sex. We'd never talked about it. I mean, she asked me if I had birth control like three years after I was already sexually active. And I was like, yeah, I got it. Um, so when I told her about it, I said, so I wrote this book proposal and I, I think I'm not going to do anything with it. And I feel super sad about it because it's just too much. Like I, I, I don't, you, you can't read it. And like the kids can't read it. And she was like, well, tell me about it. And I'm like, well, it was about my adventures, like dating. Okay, that sounds fun. And having sex. Well, okay. And like having a lot of sex. 
oh, okay. And, and then having more of it, you know, like mom, I really went a little wild. You know, I just want you to know, like, you wouldn't want to read it. I, I kind of really just uh, sowed my wild oats and she like did not bat an eye. She was like, okay. Um, and I said, but you'll be so embarrassed. And she said, I'll never be embarrassed by anything you do. I'll only ever be proud of you. And I was like, okay, then the kids will be embarrassed. And she's like, okay. So that your kids will be embarrassed. They're not going to die of embarrassment. You've taught them to be resilient and they will be, they'll get over it. And you'll show them what a good role model you are, but you'll, you'll model confidence and strength. And so I said, okay, mom, if I write this book, you can never read it. And she said, okay, so I'll never read it. Or maybe I will. And then I'll be very jealous of everything you did that I never did. <laughs> I just love that. I mean, oh my goodness. Yeah. That's I mean, my fabulous. mom is, yeah, it was pretty. And actually I have to say as a follow-up, so, you know, three, it's been out, it's been out since June and yeah. she's got a copy, you know, she was like the first one to order the book and she's got a copy on her shelf. And she said to me the other day, you know, so she was talking about my aunt. Um, she said, she's reading the book and she's really enjoying it. You know what? I've decided I'm just going to read it. I'm tired of not knowing what's in this book. I'm going to read it. And if you need to flag some sections that you don't think I would read, I should read, then, you know, you can do that. And I said, well, it's going to be a lot of flag sections. Now, <laughs> <at your." laughs> I said, just give me a whole pack of post-its. And she said, that's fine. That's fine. But I still want to read it. And I, I have had her listen to some of the podcasts, you know, even where I'm talking pretty vocally about what my sex life had been like, the married life. And since then, and I just don't. You know, I don't, I don't really feel embarrassed by it anymore. I don't necessarily think my mom needs to know like what I think about oral sex, but you know, or like the state of my pubic hair. Like, I don't necessarily think that she needs to know that, but the fact that she now understands that I have been very sexually active the last years and that I've really found myself socially, it's fine. You know, I'm like, I've said to my kids, I've said it to my mom, like, it's fine. I don't, there's no, I don't know why I was so embarrassed about it to begin with. There's no shame in this. So I feel like, you know, I'm so grateful that my mom gave me, she didn't just give me permission. She gave me a push. Like, how are you going to feel if you don't do this? And I thought, well, "Well, I'm back in a box. I'm back in the box I was in before. And this is what struck me when you said like a guiding principle in your life is to have no regrets, like to not regret and that you really do stand by that. And I think your book is a beautiful testament to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think regret, regret seems to me the one thing that you just can't live with, right? Because everything else you can, I mean, I guess feelings, you know, feelings come and go. But if you had the feeling that you should have done something and you didn't do it, you really have to make peace with it. And that's hard. And I think, you know, this is sort of the philosophy of why my third daughter was born, you know, eight years after my second child was born. And um, I I didn't want to regret not having a third baby. I really wanted another baby. Mm -hmm. I felt like I wasn't done being a mother to young children. And so I said to my husband, like, let's try and hopefully it won't work. And then we don't have to have another baby, but we can say we tried and there's no regrets because you can't regret it. You just, it just didn't happen. And he was like, great idea. And then I was five minutes later, I was pregnant. I mean, it was like unbelievable. And I was like, how did this happen? And I told my mother and she goes, I see you kind of like played Russian roulette. And I said, yeah, kind of like, I, I was hoping not to win. So it was, but it was like, it was, it is very much, I think how I make certain decisions. Like if I think 
I'm going to wonder, worry about this later. I think I just have to do it now. And of course that baby is now 11 years old and the best thing that's ever happened to me. So I mean, aside from my other kids, but she was like an amazing addition to our family and I would never have done it any other way. And it was the same thing with the book. It was like, you cannot write the book or you can write it and live with the consequences of it, whatever it may be, that you're basically walking down the street naked. You basically have to accept that people are going to know everything about you, that you're like completely exposed yourself and see what that feels like or always wonder. And I just didn't want to always wonder. Yeah. No, now I'm not wondering. Now everybody knows everything. <laughs> the thing is, so Lord, like so many people are going to read this book and feel really seen. Like, yeah, you know I hope I mean? so. you're there, yeah. you know, we kind of, we're talking about it being very vulnerable and putting yourself out there. And I know how, how hard that can be with writing, but at the same time, well, it wouldn't be any other way. Like, but this right. is what happened. So, right. but what you want me to edit what happened? Right. But it makes people like they can really relate to it. And a lot of people, you probably get a lot of people saying to you, like, you know, you articulated what had happened to me. This is how I experienced it. I I can really relate to that. And so that's why it's so important that you've written this incredible book. Yeah, I know. I'm happy about that. I'm happy because I felt so alone when I found out about my husband. I didn't have any friends that this had happened to I didn't have a net, you know, I had friends, but not who understood this situation. And, you know, people would say, well, if this happened to me, and I was like, you have no idea what it would feel like if this happened to you, because I know I had no idea. And now I have some totally different feelings about it. It's so much deeper than I ever could have imagined. It's not just like, oh, he cheated on me, he had sex with another woman. Like that is skimming the surface of what an affair is. Um, And so I hope you know, that I can give some people an ability to find themselves just like I've, you know, I've read a lot of memoirs where I also appreciate when people talk about the difficulties of motherhood, you know, that yes. it's not all like just loving your kids and feeling their breath on you as they're falling asleep. That's wonderful. But it's also sometimes like you, you just think like, why did I do this? Why did I have these people? Like now I got to take care of them for life ever. <laughs> So I just feel like I'm very interested at this point in my life. I'm 51 now. I'm single. Um, you know, I'm dating somebody and he knows that I really just want to date and like I'm really not interested in being married again or living with somebody even. I'm at a point in my life where the one thing that matters to me above everything else is authenticity. And that I remain authentic to who I am. And I remain authentic to the the words that I say. I'm allowed to change, but this is how I feel today. I feel really empowered. I feel really strong. I feel heartbroken still. And this is the truth of how it feels to be a middle-aged woman. This is how it feels to be me, you know, and it's, and that's most important to me to say is like, I don't, I can't just write this book that says, I got divorced and had sex with tons of men and had the time of my life. I did, but I also sometimes feel really sad that my marriage didn't make it or that my kids don't have a cohesive home or that I have to talk about who's going to be with who for Thanksgiving. That makes me sick. Mm -hmm. So I, I just want, I just wish, like when I look at people's Instagrams or I see things like the, you know, reality shows, I really don't watch them very often because I don't want to know anything that's not authentic. I want to know the real whole story. I don't want to know half the story. Absolutely. I don't, yeah, it's like the pretty stuff, not interested. Like give me, you know, the real, absolutely. 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was actually, I was on a, this is so funny to me. I was on this, um, I'm like a Peloton junkie okay. and I was taking a ride this morning and it was the song, the Bruno Mars song on leaving the door open. Okay. And the instructor said, oh, this song could be written for my husband. He leaves the door open. And I was thinking, oh, this is so sappy. Like, oh, he's the best. He leaves the door open. His heart is open. His mind is open. And then she said, he literally leaves every door open. Like the door is open to the pantry. The door is open in the refrigerator. The door is open. He doesn't close a single door. I thought this song's, and I was like, like, thank you. Thank you for keeping it real. I just loved that she kept it real. It wasn't sappy at all. It was literally like, close the door. Close the bathroom door, <laughs> for God's sake. And I love it when you think you're about to get just a mouthful of sugar yeah. and it comes out as something else. Because that's, for me, that's very real. Like, you could, we yeah. know you love him. You're married to him. We get it. You know, yes. Don't tell us that. I don't want to know about that. I want to know how you can't bear to hear him chewing. Like, that's what I want to know. But that you do it anyway, that you're still in it, you know? It's not easy. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. So you're now at a point, I mean, I, I understand those feelings of, you know, every so often, even the feelings of, um, this is when I struggle with, like the guilt and shame of being yeah. in a situation like you know people don't really talk about that do they yeah but, and they're hard ones to fight off because there's a, a half of you that thinks I have nothing to feel guilty or shameful about but but oh my gosh they naturally show up in the room and you're like oh you're here again yeah totally <laughs> those words guilt and shame Go how I wish I could bury those so oh. far underground those are really oh. yeah That's really hard. I mean, guilt, I grew up in a house where guilt was really an effective tool, you know, so I understood that. And I really always determined that that would not be like my mothering style, that it was like, if the kids had something else to do on mother's day or my birthday, and they couldn't be around, like, send me a nice note, tell me you love me and go live your life. There's no guilt. You know, there's no, you're not beholden to me. I raised you to go live your life. And there's no guilt about calling me or coming home to me or being there when I say you have to be there, whatever. Um, and the guilt of moving on in my life, that was really hard. My kids, they weren't happy with me moving on. There was a lot of guilt. I still feel guilt. I mean, I still like this past weekend, I had the guy, the the man that I've been dating for three years, he came upstate with me and my daughter and her two friends this weekend. It was the first time. So three years we've been dating. It was the first time we ever did something like this together. It was the first time he ever slept in the house with me while the kids were home. That's how long it's taken me to get to this point. And because there's so much guilt, like I want to be, when I'm with my children, I want to be a mother a hundred percent. And I also don't want them to, my children to feel embarrassed. Like I don't want my 11 year old to feel like embarrassed that her mother has this man in her bedroom. That's not her father. So all of those things come into play. So I thought, well, we'll try this. And, you know, it was another like learning curve for us. Like there were great things about it. And there were things that we were like, Ooh, this is a little hard, uh, you know, because there's a lot to figure. And I don't know if it's what I want. It it may, I I can't say that I want us to be so commingled. I sort of like having my life separate, Um, but the guilt and the shame, those are powerful. And I think that the shame, especially like one of the things that I feel really good about in talking about sex so openly now is that I actually don't feel any shame about it anymore. I think there's nothing wrong with saying I like to have sex and I'm not hurting anybody. So period. And, And I really saw that because as you go through your journey, I was kind of watching the scales and I was like, like her self-love is Mm -hmm. really rising to the top. It's just going to dampen out that bloody guilt and shame and all that. Yeah. And so you must, like, you must feel very 
strong and robust these days because I feel you did so much work. I did so much work, but you know, it's funny when I talk to my kids, I'm very open with my kids about sex. And I really like, let them know, like when they didn't, they were sort of embarrassed by the book, but I was like, look, I'm a woman who likes to have sex. What's embarrassing about that? I'm not, I'm not married anymore. I'm single. Like, why shouldn't I, what what would you rather me be doing? So that was part of my having to go through it with them. So they would sort of, they themselves could lose the shame and embarrassment and just say, okay, so my mom wrote a book about her sex life, big deal, which they can do now. They're three out of three, even the little one. Um, But the, oh, you just said something else and now I'm forgetting what it was that I wanted to, oh, about feeling strong and robust. You know, life just keeps going, right? So I feel, am I strong and robust right now? I mean, the last few months have been really hard for me. My father died um, in June. My, I had to move out of my apartment. Um, my son left for college and is 3,000 miles away from me now. Uh, COVID, you know, has happened yes, to all of us. Lots um, of change. Is, you know, so there's been lots of change for me personally and lots of change in the world. So there are parts of me that feel like, yeah, I did it. I look at my book and I think that's mine. I did it. And, you know, I bought a new apartment for myself, which will be the first place I've ever lived in, in my adult Uh, life. But in the meantime, in the meantime, I'm living in my mom's second room, you know, my mom's guest bedroom, because my apartment is months behind schedule and my daughter and I needed a place to stay. So, you know, we're living at grandma's. (laughs) So I, in some ways I feel very strong and empowered yeah. Like I've told my truth and it's out there and the world didn't end. My kids still love me. Yes. My mom is not ashamed. You know, all of these things are true, but life is just kept going. Like it didn't, I didn't get to just say, and that's the end of the story. The end of the yeah. story is I wrote the book, I came alive and that's the end. The rest of my life just kept going. Parenting, being a daughter, you know, COVID, yes. dad, all of it, working, having to make a living. Yeah. That, that just keeps going. So yes, I feel absolutely. strong. I feel empowered. I feel independent. I feel like I can do it. I feel like I can do anything. Yes. But I also still feel like, ugh, you know, it's like life is hard. Life is just hard. It is. It is. But for me, I'm thinking, oh, it's just starting for her. I I hope you're going to be able to start writing more. And oh, thank you. Thank you. I do feel that way. I feel like things are, you know, I do feel like there's a new chapter and I'm going to move into this new apartment. It's going to be the first home I've ever owned and lived in on my own as an adult. I mean, I'll have my daughter still with me, but, you know, as the only adult present. And I want to make a living. I haven't worked in, you know, really outside the home in 20 years. And I want to, I, it, making money is really empowering and wonderful and getting to decide what you do with it. And I don't, I have no, I could do anything. I don't know. I mean, I, I have to, someone has to want me to do it, but um, yeah, I don't know what's next. And it was so strange for me who always had everything so buttoned up and tied down and scheduled is not knowing is thrilling instead of terrifying. Yes, just like you walking into that bar and getting a yeah. ticket to see that gig that night. Yeah. Like that very first chapter. Like it's just, you know what, I'm just going to go for it, see what happens. And just incredible things have happened. That, yeah, you know? like you just fling yeah. yourself out to the universe, be yes. nice to people, put on a big smile, be open, be curious. And th- things that may actually just come your way. You know, yes. it's, and, and I've seen that that's true. I mean, sometimes I just think, I can't believe this. Like, I I can't believe I'm going to, I have my own home. I can't believe I wrote a book. You know, I can't believe 
that my children and I all have these really wonderful relationships because it was really rocky for a while. I can't believe I'm dating someone who cooks for me. That was like such a bucket list item for me. <laughs> I know it's, I mean, honestly, I, I, he's totally spoiled me. I don't know how I'll ever <laughs> date anybody else again because he can shop, he can cook and he can clean. And it's like, I don't know, where do you go from there? Where do you, it's like, I'm yeah, exactly. I'm done. So, um, I feel, you know, those it's very exciting to just say like, okay, I'm 51. I got lots of years ahead of me and let's just see where this goes. I have confidence now in the universe. You know, I I have, I I do. It's that, that light at the end of the tunnel, you know, go get, you have to go through it. The only way out is through. It's like, am I out? I don't think you ever get out, but you can see the opening for sure. You can keep walking toward the light. You can. And for those listening who are at the beginning of that tunnel, in the middle of that tunnel. I, you can't see this because you're listening, but I'm looking at Laura. You are glowing. You are just this beam of light. So if you're in the middle of the tunnel, thank you. Keep going. Keep Keep going. going. Yes. And I think the word that I like to tell people is patience. It's time. You cannot rush time. Time just has to pass. And the, and the time heals so many things. But you have to be patient. You just have to kind of sit it out and be patient. You will get there. Every Most people get there. Most people get to the other side who want to and who are determined to. But you can't, you know, it's a process. And you might really just have to feel terrible before you feel better. Take the step back before you take the step forward. You know, use whatever visualization works for you. But it's it works. You Visualizing the words or the images, it really helps. It replaces the negative you know, it replaces the negativity that we, that we're so quick to go through our heads of this is not going to work out. I'm panicked. I can't do this. How am I going to just, you got to shut those voices up. And the yes. only way to do it is with yes. positive words. That's why I listen to 8,000 podcasts, you know, because yes. they make me feel motivated. I know everyone has a hard story. I love hearing people's stories of yes. when, and hearing how they persevere. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. It's lovely to hear someone tell their story, which is why it was lovely that you've narrated your own book. Mm-hmm. I love that you've narrated the audio book. Yes. When I was, that was telling fun. My, when I was telling my dentist the other week, <laughs> and I said, Get this shed. Oh, but I do like to listen to books on the way to work. I was oh. like, It's okay. She's narrated it. It's going to be yes. fabulous. <laughs> that was such a funny experience for me narrating was my it? own book because, yeah. you know, like I was like, Okay, so I finally learned how to say certain words you know, but I wrote them down. It's different when you're saying them out loud. It so really and with two men on the headset with you, you know, the producers on the headset with you. So you're, you know, now I'm like, well, I pretended to be this like totally liberated woman. And now I just got to keep going. I got to go like, through with it. Oh, I'm going through another layer now. Hang on a minute. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, when I'm talking about sexual turn or, you know, dirty talk and I've got to say it <laughs> with two men on the headset, but I did, I powered through. Oh, <laughs> yet another well thing I, I could do. <laughs> you did it. I did it. Yep. Oh my goodness. And patience. now certain, yeah, yeah, patience and words can just roll off your tongue. Words you couldn't say before can just roll off your tongue. You won't even blush. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Incredible. Oh my goodness. It has been such a treat talking to you today. Oh, thank, thank you, you so this. much. This has oh, been thank amazing. You, you have been... such positive energy and it's oh my so gosh. lovely to be around. I feel like I could just, I would like to speak to you every morning <laughs> and um, get a little bit of your energy. 
and go on with my day. (laughs) It's so funny because when you read someone's memoir and it's so authentic and unapologetically themselves like you did, I feel like I know you, Laura. Yes. I feel like, you know, it's just Laura who I see every day. Yeah, you do. You know me. I sit down with a cup of tea and go through stuff. But you know, I think that's how I feel when the way I like listening to certain podcasts because I hear the voices. I kind of know what you know. It's going to be funnier. It's going to be open. It's going to be warm. It's like yes. I, I kind of I feel the same way when I listen to you. If you keep listening, you you know you touch on so many different parts of life, on oh. liking someone's writing, on their children, on their work, you know, on balance yeah. in life. So I feel the same way, and I oh. think like it's it's a really it's been. It's just lovely to be part of a community of people who just keep lifting each other up. Absolutely. I honestly, I cherish the day we connected on Instagram. Yes. That was fantastic. <laughs> this is where yes. social media is really good. You I know? totally agree it, with you. It's yes. not all bad. It's no, not it all bad. It no, isn't. you could really find your cheerleaders on there. And it's yes. like, it's, and that gets you through the day and you get to be someone else's cheerleader too. Yes. yes. Social media is good for that. Just keep How it, amazing. keep it cheer, keep it cheer, not cheerful, but cheering on no negativity. Yes. Be yes. honest. Don't, don't, you know, don't just show half of your life. Show the ugly parts. We too don't want to and... see the polished stuff, do we? No, no, no. Let's see the real stuff. Although honestly, maybe I could like post one polished picture of myself. It might not kill me. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Darling, the light that is beaming from you. That's all you need. Okay. You wow. Need. Wow. 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 Thank you. You're just totally. That's love i mean really lovely coming from you especially who well, is all, you know i'm now thinking god do i need a peloton like, <laughs> <laughs> i do love my peloton I, I feel like i should get a cut every time someone buys one i feel like i should get a percentage <laughs> so i'm such true. a good spokesperson for it it's love that true. thing yeah oh, fantastic i want to no. be an influencer a peloton influencer <laughs> done sign us up <laughs> No, I've been ending every interview with some quick fire, lighthearted questions. If okay, you're fun. up for joining in. Of course, of so, course. So, Laura, on your yes. dodgy, tough days, do you opt for lemon and water or lemon and gin? Gin. Done. Check. <laughs> I can't believe that's a question. <laughs> gin, 100%. Oh, fantastic. Now, I probably know the answer to this. Do you move your body or move the remote? body. Yes. You feel so good when you get it out of your system, whatever it is that you're feeling, let it spill onto the floor and move on. Yes, exactly. Get rid of that cortisol. Yep. Now, are you a bag of almonds or a bag of Maltesers? Do you have Definitely Maltesers? Ma- in the we state? don't have Maltesers, but we have Whoppers, which oh, I believe are the same, like yes, they chocolate-covered malt candies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely the Maltesers. I mean, almonds... Eh. I can't get excited about eating a bag of almonds. I'll do it like under duress, but no, I definitely, I love, I love a good bag of candy. Mm, I know mm, that little delicious sugar, like yeah. oh, hits mm. the spot. Mm, and do yeah. you ask for help or are you happy to hermit? I've learned to ask for help. I'm helping. I mean, I'm, I've, that's a lifetime of, of learning, but yeah. I'm, I've learned and you know what? People like to help. It's you do, you, you help people by giving them a chance to help. I understand that now. Cause I love to help my friends. It makes me feel so good. Yes. And so I now know that when I'm asking people for help, it helps me and it also lets them be a good friend to me and that helps everybody. So I've learned, I didn't know that until recently, but I I'm, I'm asking for help all the time now. Yeah. That's a good reminder to us all. Absolutely. 
Oh my gosh, Laura, thank you so much for your time today. It's been amazing to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You gave me such a boost of confidence today. So uh, thank you, because I'm, I'm definitely going to go out and strap my stuff to see if anybody feels my light beams. <laughs> Done. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everyday Burnout Conversations. Please check the show notes for any links to items discussed today. And the original music and sound editing is by Chris Taylor. If you've enjoyed this podcast and have a spare few minutes, then it would be absolutely amazing if you could leave me a happy starry rating and review. It really does help this podcast reach a little further. And I just love it to land in the lap of those who, like me, last year are perhaps feeling isolated and lonely in their burnout struggle. Please note this podcast is not intended as medical advice. Remember you matter so don't hesitate to reach out to your doctor or mental health professional for support if you're having a rough time. Wishing you a great week and take good care of yourself. Bye for now.